Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. It's no secret that funding for food and beverage companies has dried up in the last year, and many are left wondering how they're going to finance their business, because let's face it, it's really expensive. So for today's conversation, I've invited on Colin Gilchrist, who is the CEO and founder of Union Kitchen, which is a food business accelerator. They recently launched a $20 million Series A fund that supports their accelerator members and have made about seven investments in companies so far. So Colin, welcome to the podcast today. Jordan, thank you. I really appreciate being here. I appreciate the intro. Anytime I get that, I feel good. So (laughs) happy to be here. You have a very unique position and vantage point of working with dozens of founders over the last decade. And I know funding is one of those huge areas that brands are constantly concerned about. So I'd love for you just to give a sense of what your view of the funding landscape is right now for food and beverage founders. Yeah. What is the funding landscape? So I mean, it's changing, right? I think the VC world is mostly what we're talking about, right? So if you need to raise angel money, you can kind of go to your network and raise that. And there's angel money out there. And that's 25, 50K checks. But for a lot of folks, we're talking about kind of the venture market, right? Because that's where most food companies are raising money. Private equity and acquisitions are way down the road. So venture kind of fills in 90% of the funding, you know, and so that's changed quite a bit. I think venture for many years in food was taking a similar look at companies as maybe the tech venture world. And they were doing things that were based on like market size, marketing, you know, really thinking about raising capital to spend it on marketing, to grow market size, to grow access to markets. And I think that's probably still how most venture is thinking about investing, but they've also been confronted by the reality. That's not always the best use of capital. That's not been working the last few years, you know, as basically online ads have completely changed, you know, that the changes in the iOS. So I think it's interesting, but yeah, we're seeing venture start to shift towards words like profitability and sustainability. And to some degree, maybe even being interested in brands that can manufacture brands that are doing things like private label. I've seen the discourse move towards that. I think in terms of dollars, there's just less being invested currently as venture groups rethink their strategy. I'm not sure if they'll really change their strategy or if they're just going to kind of like wait out this tough period. Yeah, I was going to say, for me, like the cynical part of me is like, they're talking about profitability because they're really saying, we're just not going to deploy capital to you. (laughs) (laughs) And so you have to be profitable because you're not going to get it from me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's gatekeeping of sorts. They're like, listen, you have to be profitable. And we know most of you are not. So we can kind of use that as our way to not invest. And listen, they are investors. They want to invest right now. I think, though, that they're challenged by here's the model we've used. It's not working. And they're spending some time kind of rethinking that model and hoping to find something else that either works or that model starts working again because the economy starts driving again. Or, you know, we get a ton of money (laughs) pumped into the economy again. You know, venture loves that. I love that. Yeah, I think that's a good perspective. And then... What do you think about brands who are coming to your founders saying like, hey, I don't want to raise money. I want to bootstrap my company. 
what does it take to do that? Like how much money do I need? Can funding it based on customer orders, is that enough? What does that kind of bootstrap environment look like? Yeah. Well, you know, so that's kind of what we're about, you know, not necessarily bootstrapping, but the idea that our fund and our accelerator are focused on companies that can grow sustainably and that do not require much capital to do so. So, you know, sometimes you're going to see people raising as much capital as they have in revenue. You know, for us, we really want to see a company that can grow sustainably, that can grow based off of orders, that can fund that. And the key to doing it, the thing that we're thinking about more than anything is gross margin, right? Are these companies having strong gross margins? And I don't mean on paper. I don't mean in theory. I don't mean the co-packer said they'll give you a good margin. But in reality, money in, money out, actually achieving a good gross margin. And that's a challenging thing that, you know, we have the fund now, so I've got probably gotten a thousand decks. And very rarely do we see a real strong gross margin that's more than 40% uh, in real life, not just on paper. And that, you know, isn't just creating negative contribution margins after like, you know, trade spend and all that fun stuff. So yeah, I, I do think it's possible. I think to do that though, it really has to be focused not on, you know, sprinting towards market share, but rather thinking about building customers that love you and doing so with a pricing structure that has the margin, the gross margin, the profitability potential at the same time. And that's not been the way people have built companies in the food and beverage, you know, CPG space for 20, 30 years. But I do think they can. And that's what we promote in our accelerator. And then as our fund, that's what we invest in. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I'm curious to hear your thoughts, too, because I was listening to a podcast with Allie Kane from Haven's Kitchen, um, the Sauce Podcast. And she kind of made this distinction, which is between having a brand and then having a business. And the brand is really like the consumer perception of the world, the energy that you're putting out, the packaging, the mission, all of that, versus having the fundamental business metrics that actually can support growth. So as you mentioned, gross margin, having strong manufacturing relationships, having yeah. a product that has product market fit and customers who are demanding it. Um, have you seen kind of that split in terms of maybe some, a lot of food and beverage companies talking about brand more than actually building a strong business? Yeah, you know, the people I speak to, and let's say all the people that have companies that are asking our fund for money, and then let's also say all the people that are applying to our accelerator. We get a thousand applications a year to our accelerator, we probably get a thousand decks to the fund. And I'd say, you know, 98% of those are people that want to build brands because they've been told that's what you do. And it makes sense because you look at Nestle, you look at Mars, whomever, and they buy brands. Right. They don't really buy companies. They don't buy factories. They don't buy chief operating officers. They buy brands. So if you look at like the end of the food chain, like they're buying the brand. So then, you know, you, you bring around some smart kid who wants to start a business. And so they're like, brand, I build a brand and I'm a brand builder. And everyone who's basically under 30 thinks they're a really great brand builder, you know, because they look at the brands in the shelf and they're like, these brands suck and I'm better than that. And which is they're true, right? They are better than that. And that is important, you know, to think about. But yeah, like people are really, you know, there's brands and there's companies. And I think the majority of the food industry is probably brands. And that does work, right? We've seen a few hundred brands get acquired and make money. What I believe in is building strong companies that are built to last based around manufacturing that can withstand the ups and downs that can withstand the discriminatory practices of venture capital, right? I mean, broadly, venture capital is going to 
pick certain things they like. And if you're not that thing, you're not going to work as a brand. So meaning like you kind of work for venture capital. But if you build a real company, you work for yourself and you get to dictate how you build. You get to listen to your customers, not to venture capital. You get to build things for your community, not venture capital. And so we love that sort of freedom. We love that sort of determination. And we love that sort of separation from, frankly, you know, venture capital doesn't know what the heck they're talking about so often. And I don't think they should be dictating, you know, the growth of our industry. So we want to see companies being built. When we're investing money, we want to see it going towards operations towards equipment and towards building teams and structures. We don't want to see it going towards marketing, which is crazy because every venture capital group in every industry is saying, do not spend this on operations, do not spend this on equipment, spend this on marketing. And so we're pretty different you know, than, than kind of the world when it comes to investing. And I love that inverse model because I think you're right. Like, you know, growing and building my own brand T-Squares, I saw the same thing where we were trying to figure out product market fit early on. It struggled with it, quite frankly, because we launched in grocery, the product velocities were low compared to how much we were spending on demos and things to drive it. And it wasn't until a couple years later, probably five years in, that we found it with selling to corporate offices with our energy bars. But then the pandemic happened. So that's a whole nother story. But I think a lot of those brands are spending those early years trying to figure out how do I find that product market fit while at the same time, I need to show that my top line revenue is growing so that I keep getting money from investors. But a lot of them are losing $30,000, dollars $100,000 a month just to sustain their business. And they have no site to even like breaking even. And it's like, we just have to keep getting investment. Otherwise, we're going to go out of business because our burn is so high. Yeah, totally. And, and we see that. We don't like it. We don't support it. We don't invest in those companies. And we don't build those in our accelerator. What we do is we ask people to do the hard work of building a real company. And that's really hard. And they don't teach you that in undergrad. They certainly don't teach that in MBA. The people that are the talking heads kind of on the internet don't say those things. And so it's hard, right? But one of our kind of core things that we think about, our, one of our values is the opportunity is in the hard things. You know, the opportunity here is to do the hard thing. Because when you do that, you know, you've got this enormous defensibility, this moat around what you do. And now you have the opportunity to go deeper into that. Whereas the rest of the world is going to skip around the hard stuff, just leaving this thing wide open for you to take your time to build sustainably, to not have to lose 50K a month while you're finding product market fit, but rather, you know, just do it bit by bit and not chase things, right? Yeah, I think that's huge. Are there any of the accelerator members that really stick out to you in terms of building a business with that model and things that they've done to be successful that our listeners can learn from? Yeah, that's a great question. And yes, there's a number of them. To give context, to build a company this way, to basically to build it from zero, to figure out manufacturing, to not have to raise a few million dollars just to figure out product market fit, it takes time. And so we see brands taking about five years on average to go from that to a million plus in revenue. And again, fitting our other metrics of having strong margins, having good teams, manufacturing, it takes five years. So we're about five, six years into our accelerator. And so we've got a nice core of people that have done that. So. You know, in terms of examples, you know, Caribe juice, they're making this awesome fresh pressed or rather cold pressed juice, Dominic, like from the Dominican style flavors. So, you know, it's passion fruit, it's guava, mango, that sort of thing. And because they manufacture, they've been able to grow a business to change their product significantly. And they're doing north of $30 million in sales now, running it out of their own factories with the ability to iterate their product, make it better than others and also hit a price point 
where they can make money. So they're really awesome. Snacklands, who, you know, I, you might have met before, you know, they, they built a factory. Sammy. Yeah, Sammy's the man, you know, incredible at kind of like telling a story, you know, former radio DJ that if you're in the DC area, you know. And so great at building brands, great as a bit of a mad scientist with flavors. But what they've really done is that they built a manufacturing plant. And so they completely control their supply chain and they make a fantastic product that keeps getting better, you know, and so they're able to grow their business that way. And they've been able to stay fairly light on capital compared to their peers as they kind of build this thing out and be profitable. You know, that's the key. It's going to be hard to raise money the next couple of years. And, you know, if you're losing money, you're kind of in a tough spot. So here's a question that I get from founders. I hear this from others as well. And that is, if you are self-manufacturing and building a brand at the same time, it can feel like running two different businesses because the work that it takes to manufacture product, maintain labor, maintain high quality standards is a different kind of type of work that's its complete thing, which is a little bit different than the sales and marketing side of the business, yeah. which is about you know outreach, being out in the world, going to trade shows, running e-commerce and Facebook ads and things like that. And some founders feel split because they feel this tension between the business. How have you encountered companies kind of working through that? Yeah, you do see that, right? What we're trying to tell people is that this is the company and this is the business. The idea that kind of sales and marketing is a distinct business than manufacturing operations, you know, for us, it isn't true. You know, we think that's kind of a, like a, a fallacy that trips people up. You're making a product and selling it, make it and sell it, right? That's the whole business. If you want to pay someone else to make it and just focus on the sales side, you know, that pathway is kind of what we've been discussing. Go for it. It has worked. If you want to build a company and a product and sell that product, you know, you can do that too. And that is so often what companies do in this world. You know, you look at all the big companies in this world, the successful ones, even in tech, they make and they sell, right? And so, you know, it's not really two companies. It's the two parts of a successful company that you have to become good at. I think most people that are starting food companies are afraid of being good at both of those things. People don't like to sell. People don't like to manufacture. You know, sometimes people like to sell. Almost never do people like to do the hard work of manufacturing. So that's why I think it makes it easy to say it's two companies. It makes it easy to kind of say, I can't run two companies. Well, no, it's one company, guys. Like, come on, you're making a product, you're selling it. You know, you can learn these things. I promise that you can develop these skills on both sides of this. Yeah, I think it's definitely a part of the business and it is a challenge. And I think that by pushing it as just what the business is means that you can look for ways to solve for it versus ways of trying to push it under the rug and not focus on it. You know, with yeah. P-Squares, we start self-manufacturing our product, went to, in the commercial kitchen, went yeah. to smaller manufacturer. They could kind of hacked together a way of making it, but it was so unique of making the product that they couldn't really do it well yeah. to the point where they essentially dropped us because it was too expensive for them to do it. We went out of stock at Whole Foods. And then we went back to making it at our facility, added a little bit more equipment, found another manufacturer to test at, spent about $15,000 between ingredients and testing fees on a run at that manufacturer. And it completely failed and had to yeah. go and right, they were like big and had all the fancy, you know, multi-million dollars worth of equipment, didn't have what we needed. And then eventually went back to self-producing. And it was definitely like a challenge having, you know, labor and employees to manage, but also we were able to make a bigger impact on those people's lives and have more control over the product, have higher quality standards and be more flexible. And so 
learned that, you know, at that point, having this idea of like going to a contract manufacturer isn't going to solve all your problems and just creates a different set of headaches. That you yeah, it's a different set of headaches. And, you know, the story you just told, I've heard probably a thousand times. I'm sure you've heard that a thousand times. You know, what you put on paper does not happen in real life so often when you give away your control to someone else. So we think about it that way. You know, you mentioned this, you know, the impact that we have in our community and the people that are on our team is, is actually really important. You know, manufacturing means employing people and having a part in those people's lives. It's a really big deal. And we think a lot about that here, that basically we're making products that reflect our community and that's why they're going to be successful. And we're building in our community, employing our community, you know, creating manufacturing jobs that otherwise don't exist in our communities, you know, sometimes in our country. That's actually really important work because we think about like how hard it is to be an entrepreneur. Like being an entrepreneur really sucks you know, for a long time. And like, it's cool. And you like, you post on LinkedIn or Instagram and all that fun stuff. And, you know, you get to work for yourself, kind of, you know, you just work for everyone else in the world, but it's really hard. It's really stressful. You don't have any money and you're facing challenges that your peers that you went to college with, or you grew up with aren't facing in their jobs. That suckiness, if you make it pays off. But what I see so often that period of suck, you know, of like just bad things, it's hard to get through that if you don't have a really good reason to get through it. I've watched a thousand some people quit in that phase and they're going to quit if they don't have a strong purpose. And so one of the major purposes that you can have is the community that you build, the team that you build, the lives that you impact through employment and the way that you do all that stuff. Like it matters. And that can be a purpose and that can get you through all the tough periods that can get you through the suck because otherwise, like, why the heck are you doing this? You know, you can go get a job. You know, there's a lot of jobs out there in the world that you can go and work. You get paid a salary. It comes on Friday every time. You know, if it doesn't come, like it's coming, you know, someone messed up and they're going to make it right. Or in the entrepreneurial world, that's never the case. You might go years without salary. So you got to have a damn good reason. And so, you know, manufacturing for some people, for me, creates a purpose as well on top of the financial benefits of it. Absolutely love that. And I am a huge advocate for knowing your, not just your business why ambition, but your personal why mission, as you said, because that's what's going to get through all those rough time when things don't look great and gives you the firmly planted foot to pivot in the right direction if you need to, while still being true to yourself and who you are. So thanks so much for being on the show today and definitely love all the takeaways for our listeners. This is very cool. So anyone listening, if you are looking at building your business in this way and manufacturing yourself and staying away from some of the venture capital money. You can do it. You can be successful. It's a different mindset that you need to move forward with, but it can and does work. Cool. Jordan, thank you so much. This is awesome.